0: Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, that over there is Pastor Ross. Ross, today we're starting a brand new series. It's gonna be a six-week series for small groups, for families, it's great for one-on-one mentoring relationships, and we're calling the series The Jesus Way, and we're gonna be looking at this, what we're calling the radical kingdom ethic of Jesus. So how we as Christians should live our lives because we're followers of Jesus and we're going to be focusing our study on a section in chapter Matthew chapter 5 that are called the six antitheses. So why don't you start by just explaining what exactly that is cuz probably the listeners today would know what we're talking about they just didn't know they were called the the six antitheses.
1: Yeah, nobody. What is an antithesis? An antithesis. It's a it so Jesus says six times he says this is what you've heard mm-hmm but I tell you this. So in different ways that that's played out, but essentially that's, he says, this is what it's been taught in the past, but this is what I tell you. So not this, but this.
0: So he said, for example, and this is where we're going in this series, you have heard, don't murder, but I tell you, don't even get angry at someone. Right. And you have heard, uh, what's the second one? You have heard, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust over a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, you have heard. I don't have all these in front of me. I don't have them all in front of me either. <laughs> you, about, have you have heard something, Don't make vo- oath. I don't oath. make vows. But or don't don't break your vows. Mm-hmm. And he basically says, but don't even make a vow. So at first glance, Ross, it sounds like Jesus is contradicting the law. He's antithesis sounds bad. It sounds like he's saying that was all wrong. We can put that away now. That's not important. And instead, I'm going to show you something completely different. But I think if people think that way, they're missing the point.
1: Right. And the clue is earlier in chapter 5, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, meaning the Old Testament scriptures. He says, but I came to fulfill it. And so it's it's not, so so he's not saying that he's contrary or against the law. And the, the question is, what is the relationship of Jesus to the law and what he do, what he What we come to understand what it means for him to fulfill it is that all the law points forward to him everything that is said in the old testament law finds its fulfillment in jesus and he demonstrates one way that that happens is that he has the authority to tell us what the real heart intention and direction of the law was originally meant to be and so he's not just saying he's not saying well, you t- the Old Testament said this, but I'm going to give you a different way. He's saying, you know, this is the, the way that it's commonly been interpreted. This is what you've heard, and this is how you've what you have what, understand what you've heard. He's saying, let me tell you what, what the real deal is, because he is the ultimate final authority in the kingdom of God. Um, the law points to him, ultimately, in that sense.
0: Right, so the, when you read the antitheses, they, they start with, you have heard that our forefathers were told this one thing. But what you're saying, Ross, is it's important the way that Jesus is saying it. He's saying, but I tell you this. He's appealing to his own personal authority, mm-hmm. the authority of Jesus Christ, not just the example of Jesus, which, of course, he gives us a great example in his life. But it's the authority of Jesus that I think really the Pharisees probably, that would have probably really bugged the Pharisees. Oh, absolutely. Right? They they
1: loved the law. They were so invested in the law. For someone to come along and say that they had authority greater than the law would be like, well, well, they did. They accused him of blasphemy. Right. They were dead set against him for right. a number of reasons. So, you know, and he backed that up, of course, in his life and, and teaching in so many different ways. But he's challenging them to um, to grasp the direction that the law was headed the whole time, it was, it was headed toward him.
0: Yeah, so we need to, before we get into our first antithesis, we need to read Matthew 5, verse 17, because these, ver- these next couple of verses sort of frame, uh, give context to everything we're going to be studying in this series, and you already mentioned this, Ross, but let me read it. Matthew five seventeen. Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the Law of Moses, or the writings of the Prophets, He said, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, right, Jesus isn't saying the law is terrible, the law had it all wrong, the law... What were we thinking? What were the writers, what were the prophets thinking? What was Moses thinking? Of course not, because the law comes from God, Jesus is God. What he's saying is, no, I'm going to fulfill it. All of this points to me. Um, the, in fact, I would. Would you? Wouldn't you agree, Ross? That that when God gave the law, He had even this moment in mind. Matthew sure, five, absolutely. When, the Sermon on the Mount, absolutely. We call that. We put that. We put this into the
1: context of what we call salvation history. Mm-hmm. In other words, the whole development of, of everything that God planned to do. So that's a great point, that those two can't be separated.
0: And that's why we say that the the law actually points forward to Jesus. So Jesus isn't trying to get rid of the law, which is what he's saying here. Jesus, in part, Jesus fulfills the law. and But even I think even more than that, I think Jesus is showing us the... The true intent of the law, the right. true the true meaning of the law in the first place. And that's why he says in verse nineteen, um, if if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So let's make sure we know Jesus isn't trying to ignore the commandments, but he uses this kingdom language, right? that this right. is all about what life should be like in the kingdom. That's why the subtitle for this series is, the radical new kingdom ethic mm-hmm. of Jesus. It's a kingdom ethic because we're, we're subjects in his kingdom. Right, and we'll see that in the very first point that we're going to look at today.
1: Jesus didn't, you know, he said, you've heard it said, don't murder. And mm-hmm. well, then Jesus doesn't cu- turn around and say, but I say to you, murder's okay. <laughs> right. Right? He just But he gives us the intent and the underlying motivation and the ultimate purpose of that uh, commandment.
0: And by the way some people some modern american christians might think oh this is going to be great because if we're talking about the heart of the law we're going to see that Jesus just makes it all more uh, uh, more lenient less strict that's what probably i would say consumer christians might expect mm-hmm. you know prosperity, the prosperity gospel type christian might expect that that Jesus is going to make this more lenient oh this is good. he's really going to stick it to those pharisees but that's not what he does. No. In this in the antithesis. Yeah, he, he does stick it to him in a way. Yeah. But
1: not the way that you might expect, right? He he really and we'll we'll explore that as we go.
0: Yeah, you'll notice as we go, he doesn't make it more lenient.
1: No, not by a long shot. He makes it
0: more stringent. Right. He makes it more strict, and we'll explain why. But one more thing, verse 20, Jesus says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what a great last warning before we get into these antitheses. He's saying, essentially, Ross, isn't he saying, they got it wrong. Your teachers, who have been teaching you the law all along, they missed something in this. They missed a big part of this.
1: Yeah, and remembering that the people that he's speaking to there, they're totally embedded in this, in this vast religious system, this whole religious culture. This, this forms their whole life from birth to death. And so they're just encompassed with this sense of religious identity and obligation and all the rest. And so they're in the middle of that, and Jesus is going to kind of deconstruct that in a significant way.
0: Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, the law pointed forward to Jesus and his teaching, so it is properly obeyed by conforming to his word, uh, right, his authority. And as it points to him, so he, in fulfilling it, establishes the true direction to which it points and the way it is to be obeyed. So let's remember that as we cover each of these six antitheses in the next six weeks. And today, Ross, today's title is Anger Management, I like that title. We're going we're gonna to start with this first, Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22. Jesus says, here's the antithesis, the first one. You ever heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder? So that's one of the Ten Commandments. Right. And by the way, not all of these are going to be Ten Commandments. Right. There are other part, other aspects of the law. Of the law. But this, this one is, he starts with one of the Ten Commandments, and he says, you've heard that if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But Jesus says this. Here's the antithesis. He says, but I say... If you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. All right, now let's, let's talk a little bit about, about anger. Let's get people thinking about anger as they're driving to work today. When we get angry with people, we essentially what we do is we want to make them pay for their offense. Mm-hmm. Right. Think about the last time you got angry. You, you wanted to make them pay. You wanted to stick it to them. And what another way to say that is we want to we, we want to judge them, and the ultimate yeah. expression of that is, well, is murder <laughs> is murder, right. yeah. Br- brought to the ultimate end, that's murder. Now mo- most of us won't ever get to that point, and so. You know, Part of this is we're thinking, well, maybe we're, we're innocent then. Or we're fine. We right. can check that one off. No
1: sweat. No problem. I've never murdered anybody, yeah. never planned to, never will. Right.
0: That's an easy one. So again, if you're taking this at face value, thinking just about the letter of the law, you're going to miss everything that Jesus is about to teach mm-hmm. us in this first antithesis. And here's, here's the first point that we're going to pull out of today's lesson. Murder is just the tip of the iceberg for anger that there's more that lurks beneath the surface. Right. Now, so,
1: you know, it it might be shocking to say that murder and anger are equivalent, and I'm sure Jesus was shocking in many things he said. He said somebody once called it um, high-impact, low-probability statements that he made. Nobody would have expected this. And on one level, you know, I I get the objection because Murder and anger have different, what I call, social consequences. Mm. I would rather have someone be angry with me than murder me. Mm. right? So, so in terms of the external consequences, murder is worse than anger. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking mm. about the heart, the, the motive, the, the genesis of murder. Where does it come from? And, and when you peel, a, peel away and start to look deeper, he says that essentially it's got the very same heart as anger. They're really, mm-hmm. they're really just an expression of a deeper thing. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, you're talking about uh, just the tip of the iceberg.
0: Yeah, so, so if, you, if you check out the small group video for this week's lesson, you can find that at PursueGod.org forward slash Jesus way, you'll see there's an image of an iceberg, right? So everybody visualize this iceberg at the very tip, at the very top, the most, the, the highest expression of anger is murder. But all the way at the bottom, underneath, well underneath the surface, the, the root emotion is, in Jesus' words, anger. Now, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that everyone who murders is, is rooted in anger. There are other motivations, but Jesus is right. dealing with this motivation in this particular case. But the question for the average person who's not a murderer is you'd say, well, I, if I don't take it to the extreme, then that means I'm innocent. And essentially, as you read this antithesis, how Jesus explains this, he's bas- he's basically going to say, no, because there are other ways that you can manifest anger. And Jesus gives us just two examples. And in these two examples from Matthew 5.22, I want people to think about one of the examples is going to be just slightly above the surface. I mean, not not mm-hmm. nearly as high up as, ang- as murder, right. but still above the surface. In other words, people can see it. Right, it's visible, it's identifiable, yeah. And the other one is going to be slightly below the surface, right. meaning that people aren't necessarily going to see it, but you know it. Mm-hmm. It's in your heart. Maybe yep. nobody else even does. Right. right? So the yep. two examples are, are name-calling and cursing. Right. He says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. So now, okay, most of us would say, I've never murdered anybody, but I don't know if anybody could say, that I've never called someone an idiot before. Right, and, and it, <clears throat> it's really true.
1: I mean, you hear it from kids, from very early, as soon as they can speak, they learn to you know, call people names. Mm-hmm. What's going on behind there, you know? And then, as we grow older, we find maybe more sophisticated ways or more egregious ways of doing it, you mm-hmm. know? But I think, I think that, how, how is that like murder? I mean, well, they both have the same root, that's right, the, the, the same thing going on under the surface, but I think our if you think about the english language we use a metaphor for slander we call it character assassination mm. so that's that idea of assassination that connects the dots with the idea of what you say and really the effect of it is murderous mm. right and so if you murder somebody you take away their life their existence their their very being if you slander somebody you're you're all, you're you're diminishing their life. You're diminishing their identity, their being. You're taking something significant away from them. Um, so they they are akin to each other. Mm-hmm. But what Jesus is pointing out that the real kinship is what drives that from beneath.
0: Okay, so I could hear somebody saying, "Well, what about if they really are an idiot? You know, I'm not slandering them if they're if it's true, right?" Like, is it okay if they really are an idiot? Because you know we all know people like that. So is Jesus going to give us a pass on that kind of anger? Well, that's an interesting
1: point, Brian, because Jesus actually called the Pharisees some names. <laughs> yeah, he called them, you know, vipers. Yeah. you snakes and so. But he was operating in his authority mm. as the the righteous judge. Mm-hmm. They were accountable to him, and he was not. It was not like name-calling, it, it was essentially a judicial verdict. So he's saying, this is what I find to be true about you. So, you know, it might be true, but I'm not the judge. Like you said earlier, you know, ultimately the motive is you want to you wanna provide judgment over that person. Mm-hmm. I want to be judge, jury, and executioner, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And Well, that's not my prerogative. In, in the life of another person.
0: Yeah, and I want to make them pay. I want to make them feel bad, even if it is true. Even if they did say, do something dumb, I want to I make them feel bad. I want to make them pay. I want to make them feel mm-hmm. bad about it, which again, then, that just means that I'm not considering them as a person. And, and this is really at the heart, as we're going to see in this lesson, this is kind of at the, at the heart of the kingdom way, the radical kingdom ethic, is it's about not putting yourself first all the time. Now, before we get on to the other thing that Jesus says that's slightly below the surface, mm-hmm. Ross, what are some other examples, maybe it'd be fun for us to make a list of some other expressions of murder that are above the surface, in other words, they're visible to other people, sorry, expressions of anger, right? but not quite to the extent of murder, right? What else could Jesus have put on the list? He only gave us two things.
1: Right, it could be, um, you know, acts of violence, mm. striking someone, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or uh, abusing someone in some way,
0: that, that'd be one. Yeah, I think about in in uh, for all of the couples out there listening. I think it could be the silent treatment. Yeah, that's you know great that'd be one. right at the edge of the surface. It's it's kind of internal, but you kind of want them to know you're giving it's them It's not the internal
1: sign. because you you're making a point. <laughs> you're for making sure, a point.
0: Right. Yeah, or any other form of passive aggressive right. behavior toward your spouse or to your, to your toward your kids or yeah, that's a great illustration. Like yeah, it'd be good though for small groups and families and with your in your discipleship relationship to maybe make your own list and let the holy spirit convict you of when you have when you've been angry and it's been visible on the outside some people have a real problem with that but then jesus talks about this other thing in the second part of verse 22 he says and if you curse someone you're in danger of the fires of hell and I put I put cursing someone. I guess you could argue for this, but I put cursing someone just beneath the surface. Because when I think of this, I think of um, doing it under your breath mm-hmm. or cursing someone just in your heart. In your heart, it's
1: it's the attitude of like you know whatever. Y- yeah, it's and see this is great because if you go from the extreme of murder <clears throat> and then down you know less acts of violence or whatever, mm-hmm. and then different kinds of expressions of passive-aggressive behavior, whatever, you know, we're starting to get into the areas where our church-going people or religious people are going like, oh, I would never do A, I would never do B, oh, I caught myself doing C, and D, what goes on beneath the surface, I do it all the time.
0: Right, and part of the reason you do it all the time is because nobody ever calls it out in you. Right, nobody can, they haven't seen it. Because they haven't That's seen right. it. That's yeah. right, we can so get away with it. Only, yeah, only we know what's going on at that level, uh, beneath the surface, a lot of times. but Well, but not just only us. This is part of Jesus's point. Right. God knows. too. God knows, and yeah. we'll talk
1: about that, you know, some more. Yeah. But yeah, God. God definitely knows. So, and he talks about accountability. The murder is accountable to, you know, the court system. He says, um, slander or name calling, is can be accountable to the the uh, judicial system mm-hmm. slander is a crime and so but also that word he uses is ambiguous it could be the, it could be the court of god's justice mm. and then he makes it really clear at the end that even the internal attitude is accountable to
0: god so all of them are going to be exposed right and so again from the letter of the law it's only murder that is listed as the thing that is you know that is something that you can be judged for but jesus is saying no 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 you can be judged for anything, yeah. Any of this, yeah. Right?
1: Totally. Now I've heard a lot of a lot of Christians will um, will make an exception for righteous anger. Mm-hmm. Jesus was angry. Again, I mean that's true. There is a place for there's a place for anger where, you know, I want justice to be done. Mm -hmm. When I take it upon myself, I want want to be the judge of that person, Mm. right? Well, I want justice to be done in a situation where evil prevails. That could be righteous anger. But really, to be honest, 99.9% of all of our anger is about how we feel like we've been wronged or we've been thwarted or we've been hurt in some way. And so it's really um, important that we don't like give ourselves too much of a pass by creating this this category that might seem to justify our anger.
0: Yeah, in fact, as we read on in Jesus' teaching here, we're going to see that the key to victory over anger is to see yourself as the offender, not the offended. And, Ross, this is something I've never... I've, I've probably read this passage hundreds and hundreds of times in my life over the years, and I don't know that I've ever noticed this before or paid attention to how Jesus explains this principle he says this in verse 23 and 24 he says so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you leave your sacrifice there at the altar go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to god ross i don't know if i've ever noticed before that when he's teaching us about anger the example that he uses is not when you get angry because someone did something to you but the example he's using is when someone is angry at you in other words you're the offender not them
1: yeah it's a really it's a it's a profound twist right cuz it is so unexpected and yet it, it's so deep and meaningful to really get us to think you know and he says i mean the word he uses there about suddenly remember that's like something pops in your mind. Yeah. Right. Well, nine times out of 10 or more, what's going to pop in my mind is how I have something against someone else. Yes. Is the thing that they've done to me. But he says, look, what about the thing that you've done to them? Maybe it's, maybe it's they're angry at me for something, or maybe it's what my anger has done. them in their life. Right. You know, both of those scenarios.
0: Well, and really the truth is, anytime you're angry at someone, well, not anytime, but so many times you're angry, you have conflict with someone, they're angry at you. Yeah, it's mutual usually. It's almost always mutual. So, you know, we talk about this in one of our other topics about you tend to get in the box with each other. I get When I'm in a conflict, I'm in the box, and I'm only thinking about that conflict from my vantage point. It's Mm -hmm. so hard for me, naturally, to think about the conflict from your vantage point, and vice versa. It's hard for you to think about it with that conflict with me in mind. You're just thinking about your own situation and how you've been hurt. And this is how we're wired. And I think this is part of what Jesus is getting at. And I think this is brilliant, because Mm you know, if you read a lot of self-help books today, you'll see these concepts all over the place. Well, look, Jesus talked about it 2,000 years ago. He says you should do your best to get out of your box and mm-hmm. think about the offense from the other person's point of view, not from your point of view. Remember in the, in the verse before, you were calling them an idiot, right. right? Right? You were cursing them. But now Jesus is saying, well, well, think about the, from their perspective right. and their claim now against you. Expositors Bible Commentary says this, we're more likely to remember when we ourselves have something against others than when we have done something to offend others. And so if we're truly concerned about our anger and, our, and hate, then we should be no less concerned when we engender them in other people. And so this is one of Christ's radical principles, to look first at things from another person's perspective. And that is just so hard to do.
1: Yeah, it's so counterintuitive. It's so contrary to our natural bent you know, to stop and think about. Because our, our natural thing is like, okay, I've been wronged. I'm going to hang on to that. That becomes like everything. Like you said, you're in the box, you can't see. That becomes the whole horizon. Mm. Is is how I've been wronged. You know, but how revolutionary to stop and have the empathy to say, "Oh, you know, I got mad because you did this to me, mm-hmm. but when I got mad, I did that to you." Right. You know, I called you I defamed you. Right. I called you an idiot or whatever it is or I hurt you in some way. Um well, we—I just think I'm justified to do that. I justify myself, but when I can put myself in the other person's shoes, it really puts gives incredible insight to the nature of what's really going on.
0: Yeah, this is called, or this or there's an application of this in what the concept of the fundamental attribution error. That's a great point, isn't there? Where mm-hmm. my understanding of that, and I think there's there, it's a little bit more complex than this, but in this particular case is that when it when it when you're thinking about a conflict you you give yourself every benefit of the doubt and but but you don't give the other person any benefit of the doubt right so you attribute all the good qualities to yourself and you attribute all the bad qualities to the other person and probably in many cases the other person's doing the same doing thing doing the
1: same thing to you yeah that's a great point
0: So it's not just in verse 24 that Jesus flips the script and gets you to think about being the offender, but it's also in verse 25. Listen, he says, when you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over. So notice, you're not the accuser. The other person's accusing you so this is what this is what he's saying he's flipping it he's getting you to think about it from another person's point of view the other the your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison
1: it's interesting that it covers all the, every relationship because technically in verse 24 when he says when someone when you become aware that someone has something against you it literally when it, it is a brother hmm. or brother or sister so It may be someone that you're close to that you know well. It may even be another follower of Jesus. Um, At this point in the Sermon on the Mount, the the boundaries of who's a follower of Jesus are pretty vague still, because there's a lot of people sorting it all out. But the point is, it's someone that's maybe closer to you. And then here he gives the opposite example of an adversary, Mm. and he says, either in either case. You have an obligation. This is what the Jesus way calls you to behave toward that person in a way that you probably thought you were you were justified in doing it a different way.
0: Hmm. That's a good point. Well, yeah, we, we do see these two, and we'll talk more about this in just a second, but we see these two different environments. We see the, the worldly environment, and we see the spiritual environment. So, yeah, may, I guess you could say that, you know, uh, if you if you really dug into this teaching, maybe you could say, well, maybe with the person that you're calling an idiot, that's someone in the world, but the person you're cursing under your breath is someone in, in the church. Could be, yeah. yeah. Uh, but w- in either case, I think we can do those things to, to people in any environment at yeah, all. Yeah, that's so true. But, the, but it all comes down to this, and this is where, again, throughout this series, we're going to be talking about the way of Jesus. We're trying to learn a different way, because again, none of this comes naturally to any of us. But once we're transformed by, by our faith, by trusting in Jesus for salvation, the Bible says the Holy Spirit takes up his residence inside of us and we can begin working the fruit the fruit of a new kind of life instead of this, this old way that we're all just naturally wired since, since birth, uh, this idea of staying in our box and being justified by our own anger and our own feelings, and they're doing the same thing to us. But the way of Jesus goes beyond anger to this word that we see at several points in this passage, the word is reconciliation. And if you don't reconcile, then you'll be the one paying the price, which kind of brings us back to this irony that we mentioned at the beginning that the reason, when we murder someone, it's the ultimate way to get them to pay the price because of our anger. But what Jesus is saying is all these other things that are less severe are still rooted in this idea that you're trying to get someone else to pay for their offense against you. And what Jesus says at the very end here, ironically, is that you're the one who pays the price. Yeah, isn't that
1: interesting? Before we get on that, excuse me, let's camp on the idea of reconciliation for a sec, Because I don't know how many of our listeners, if I were to ask you, what's the opposite of anger? They would say, oh, reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, anger takes two people, you're angry at, some, at someone or whatever they're angry at you, like we said, maybe it's mutual. Well, th- then it makes sense when you think about it like that, that yeah, then the opposite of that is two people living at peace with each other mm-hmm. or in whole relationship with each other. That's what Jesus is really going for. And, and you know, we noticed earlier in verse 24, he says, if you're in worshiping in the temple, um, he says, and you, and you become aware of that offense... He says, you, go deal with it. Go deal with it right away. Leave, leave it right there on the altar. Mm-hmm. And that so that's how important it is. So we like to think, sometimes we like to think that the religious activities mm. are most important. And Jesus is really saying that it's the relational attributes that are the most important. Mm. And so if I, you know, I guess a contemporary application of that is if I'm sitting in worship on Sunday and I'm, I'm singing my praise songs and, you know, uh, going, going along with the, the music and stuff, and I become aware, or I look over across the auditorium and I see somebody there that I don't want to make eye contact with, because <laughs> we had a thing, Jesus is saying, you know what? That's more important. Go get there. It's more important than singing your worship song. Hmm. You know, you need to go get that right.
0: Yeah, and that's really what Jesus, this is one of the practical applications to what Jesus said at the very beginning, where he said, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees, because a Pharisee would never do that. A Pharisee would have, a teacher of the law would have, would have followed through with his religious duty and would have checked that off, and wouldn't, wouldn't probably have worried about being made right or reconciling with somebody that they just called a fool, which Pharisees... I'm sure did that a lot to yeah. people. I know, relig- yeah. I know a lot of religious types who look down their nose at people and feel so high and mighty. And I think that's part of what Jesus is t- speaking to. He says that's that's like murder. Yeah, it's like as bad as murder. Yeah, you know? and you know, just a little cultural tidbit on
1: this: Jesus is talking to an audience. This is apparently this is up in the hills of of Galilee, a long ways from Jerusalem. He's talking to an audience of Galileans. It's a it's a several day walk down to Jerusalem so if they would go down if they were going to go down to Jerusalem and make an offering it would be at, at one of the festivals, the Passover mm-hmm. or um, Pentecost or the uh, in the fall you have the Day of atonement and so forth. That's it might be a, a twice a year thing right So he say I came all this way <laughs> yeah I'm not going to be here for six more months and you're telling me to leave my offering there and go you know yeah. and go do this. In other words, he's underscoring how really important reconciliation is, and how how really, um, I guess, devastating and harmful the anger that's beneath the iceberg. It really is.
0: Yeah, that's a good insight. I, I think. Yeah, they, I think that just goes to show how much. How much hyperbole really is here? We're going to mm-hmm. see this in in most of these. Is there's a certain sense of hyperbole, like Jesus used a lot of times in his parables and his teachings, to really shock people into listening to say, "Wait, you, you wait, Th- that's that important." Yeah, that I a, need to. I need point. to basically not even not even do the do the because you might not be able to get back in time. <laughs> exactly right. If you got to walk all yeah, those miles, that's a great point about the hyperbole. It gets their attention. Mm. Okay, so. So back to this idea, though, of paying the price. Again, the, uh, this is where I think people can really talk about this with their family or your small group or your mentor mm-hmm. is really to process. And, and I would encourage people to be specific with something that they've been angry about and admit that you're, you really are. You're trying to kind of jab at them. You're trying to get them to pay the price for what they did to offend you. And what Jesus says here at the, the very last verse in this section is he says, look at what he says about who pays the price. He says in verse 26, and if that happens, in other words, you don't get reconciled, then you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Mm-hmm. Not until they've paid the last mm-hmm. penny. Right. Which is real isn't that just true for bitterness in general, which goes hand in hand with anger, is you're, you're. It's like you're, you're stabbing the other person in the back, or you're. You feel like you're stabbing the other person in the back with a knife, but you're stabbing yourself with the knife. Right? Yeah. You're the one paying. Yeah, you're the one who pays the price.
1: It's like that saying I've heard that. Oh, uh, I think it's really valid to say, like your your bitterness, your anger, your unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. Mm. You know, it's just going to make me sick. It's going to pay. It's going to hurt me.
0: Mm. Yeah. So let's go back one more time. I think we can now go back to verse 22 to Mm -hmm. see one more time about paying the price. We kind of left this on the table earlier in our conversation, but consider these two environments in Jesus' example. Remember, we had the outward sin of of calling someone an idiot in the first part of the verse. He says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court, which that makes sense because it was a... It was an outward sin. They heard you. Other people heard you. There are witnesses. And right. so now there's going to be a court and that can... you could do quantifiable damage to yeah.
1: somebody or whatever. Yeah. So it, it becomes a public thing, right?
0: Yeah, which, of course, murder is the ultimate example of right. that. But what Jesus is saying is there's all kinds of examples. I mean, look, we're looking at that situation with Will Smith right now. You yeah. know, there's <laughs> a that's a great modern example of anger. Yeah. He goes up and slaps Chris Rock, and I bet you he wishes he never did that, right? Because... There's all this judgment now coming down on him. He's the one paying the... Will Smith is the one paying the price. I think actually Chris Rock sold more tickets than ever for his because show. Because after the thing <laughs> yeah. happened. Yeah, right. So again, that's, such a, that's a good example of it. Com- it'll come back to bite you if you don't deal with your anger in a healthy way. Right. And that's the court of law. But then look at what he says. Let's go back to the second part of that verse. He says, if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So again, to me, and I'd never noticed this before, but I see that as maybe he's talking about now, there are some sins of anger that are going to get you in this life, but there are some sins that are beneath the surface that some people might not ever know about ever. Maybe it never comes out. Maybe you you guard that in your heart for your entire life and yet you're going to have to still give account for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Fascinating. And you know, um, just to put this into context here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about a kingdom ethic, a kingdom way of life. He, he's not saying that you have to fulfill this new list of laws, that Jesus, you know, don't curse somebody in mm-hmm. order to be saved, but he's, but he's pointing out the inconsistency of a person who says they're in the kingdom, who doesn't act like they're in the kingdom, they mm-hmm. don't act like they, like Jesus is the final authority in their life, and that exposes maybe who they really are hmm. and what their really eternal destiny really has has always been, possibly.
0: Yeah, and I think everyone needs to really pause and think about this in their own life. Just say, hey, have I, have I trusted in Jesus for salvation, and am I willing to go all in with this? Yeah. Am I willing to live his way? Or am I—again, I think a lot of people—you know, if we're talking about drugs and alcohol, most churchgoers would say, yeah, of course you shouldn't do drugs or like actively, like that's, of course, a Christian shouldn't right. do that. And we might look down our nose at, at people who struggle with something like that and say, I don't know, I'm not even sure those people could be a Christian, right? right We've heard that how many times? And yet, so many people in the church struggle with sin, the sin of anger and bitterness mm-hmm. and cursing people and judging people in your own heart and wanting people to pay for their offenses, and they never confess it and they never yeah. deal with it. yeah.
1: I mean, I could give you story after story over the years. There's one that stands out to me in particular. This one woman, uh, she had a grudge against another Christian, mm. and we talked about Matthew chapter five, you know, mm. um, <clears throat> and there's an, uh, you know, uh, and all the forgiveness verses, um, and she just said, bottom bottom line, end of the day, no, mm. I refuse to let go of my grudge. Mm. And it's like I'm going like, well, how can you legitimately call yourself a follower of Jesus if what he said on this issue doesn't really make a dent in your thinking at all? Mm. You know.
0: And we don't have to go very far to see... What Jesus says to make this even more clear and, mm-hmm. and, to be honest, even more scary. Yeah. This is one of the scariest verses in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says this, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, Ross, I don't know about you. That's a scary verse to me. There, there aren't a lot of verses that speak so directly right. to w- to when God won't forgive you, right. and that's one of them. If you, if you hold bitterness and anger in your heart towards somebody else, and don't real, don't fess up and release it, and and come in line with Jesus's way, what I'm reading there is he's saying then you're not really, maybe you're not really a maybe Christian. you're maybe you really maybe it shows that the reality of of the work of Christ, you've never
1: owned it, you've never really uh, uh, understood it or, or absorbed it for yourself. Yeah, well interestingly, that, that, is a, that is a huge idea, but what I think is interesting when you compare those two, Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, that, that you just read, is it, it shows that the burden of reconciliation is on both parties, mm-hmm. right? It's not just the one who needs to forgive, who should go. It's, mm-hmm. the one who ne- it's also the one who needs to be forgiven who should go. And both, in, in human experience, what I've seen is that both are waiting for the other person to take the first step. You know, but Jesus values reconciliation so highly that he reconciled us to God, he gave his life for that, and to reconcile us to each other, that he says,
0: no, it doesn't matter which side of the equation you're on,
1: it's your responsibility to go make it right.
0: And, and so then in, a, in the perfect world in the perfect kingdom world, then you would have person A and person B both coming to each other saying, I'm so sorry, and will you forgive me? And, and, and there's just reconciliation. But, but sadly, what happens, because of our fallen nature, is n- neither one neither one really wants to reconcile yeah. and deal
1: with it. And sometimes, to, to, be, to be realistic, somebody says, oh, I, I'm aware that, I remember that somebody has something against me. I'm going to go deal with it. And the person won't forgive Mm -hmm. you know that's where romans chapter 12 addresses that in verse 18 it says as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone Mm -hmm. so i can only do it i can't change their heart i can't make them relent i can go with humility and and seek and pursue a reconciliation and and uh, humble myself and pursue their forgiveness but then god has to deal with them so i i need to do my part and then trust god to do
0: his part and the other person's got to do their part So here's anger management, Jesus's way. When we get angry, we just want to make people pay for their offense, but the radical kingdom ethic of Jesus calls us to reconciliation. To talk about today's topic, to watch the video that goes along with it, um, check out all these resources for this whole series, PursueGod.org forward slash Jesus way. Share this podcast with a friend who could use it. Uh, maybe you're listening to this because your friend shared the podcast. Maybe you need to be reconciled to somebody. Maybe this could be a good first first step for you. And uh, just encourage you to talk about it and be reconciled. and uh, And then join us next time as we study the Jesus way, lesson number two. Ross, next week we're going to talk a little bit about lust and adultery and what Jesus had to say, this radical new way for us to look at that. Join us next week.